in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Guys, the Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. great one there felt clean felt crisp yeah well done well done that was yeah. that was a, that was like i had solid eight and a half nine out of ten. Oh wow okay i mean there's no, such thing as, there's no such thing as a perfect score right no i mean I hey i no room to improve so. right i mean i don't know i've never heard a perfect one so i guess i wouldn't know what it would sound like but it it'd have to be pretty like life-changing i think for me I to think, give it a 10 out of 10 gotta, yeah i think there's got to be a little rasp more in there i'm gonna give it an eight Ooh. seven Eight, eight seven okay yeah i'm somewhere between eight and a half and nine probably leaning more eight and a half but it was good it was good bringing the energy here to start this podcast off mitch which is great because we have a great podcast in store today uh we're recording this on october 19th it is the beginning of the nba season tip off tonight the bucks received their their championship rings and are celebrating their nba finals uh from this past season uh, as we enter this new one. So today uh, we'll be, you know, we did the NBA preview last week, a little NBA awards predictions towards the back end of the podcast. We'll be updating the MLB postseason, both the AL and NLCS series going on tonight. Uh, so we'll sort of update there. The campus tour as always, and then week six NFL recap, a handful of games to look at. But Mitch, we want to start off with, you know, one of our favorite segments. It's a staple. We haven't used it in a couple weeks. So time to time to spring it back out. I think we got to do a bit of news. Oh, yeah, baby. Let's get into the news. Ah, uh, seven, two. Six, eight. <laughs> somewhere in that range. That was weak. I don't know. It was like a seven, five. That was good, man. That was okay. good. Uh, d- d- yeah, don't don't underestimate yourself, you know, yeah. give yourself some credit here. Uh, okay. Yes, right. news to start. Uh, and we're going to start in the NBA with uh, some drama. Everyone loves drama, right? And this happens this morning. We've sort of discussed this situation throughout the offseason, the Ben Simmons situation in Philadelphia, uh, where he, you know, is basically said he wanted out uh he refused visit from his his own uh teammates and coaches to negotiate and then miraculously about a week or so ago he shows shows up to the facility like all right i'm i'm here let's go uh has you know been there for four preseason games uh this morning the report from Woj comes out that he had been kicked out of practice suspended for a game for conduct detrimental to the team uh as further reporting came out uh apparently he had just refused to participate in drills 
Uh, and essentially, Doc Rivers told him either participate or get out. And he uh, reportedly dropped the ball that he was holding and just walked out. And so they've suspended him for a game. They haven't paid him for any of the four preseason games that he's participated in. He's lost, I think it's like $1.4 million, uh, $300 something thousand dollars a game uh, for basically lack of participation. And Mitch, I know he wants out of Philly. But if you were going to behave like this, why did you come back? Why did you just not say, listen, guys, I appreciate it, but I'm just not going to return. Well, you know, it's over. Find me a place. Call me when you've traded me. Uh, I'm not coming back. Why come back and then behave like a child and tank your own trade value? Like who the hell's trading for you now, Ben Simmons? What a mess, Mitch. Yeah, it, it really is a mess. I mean, it, I tried to equate it before we started to like an NBA or an NFL holdout um, where these guys just don't show up. But the fact is, is that he's showing up. And I think that was a great point that you made when you were talking about this. If you really don't want to play for the team, just don't show up. Don't be a distraction to the team that you're trying to leave. Uh, it, it, it really is kind of a, for lack of a better term, a, a, a little bitch move. It's, it, it, it's a whiny bitch move. Um, just don't show up. I know that his, uh, his teammate is, you know, teammate, probably soon to be former teammate, Joel Embiid has already said, you know, spoke out and said, like, at this point, I don't care about that man. He does whatever he wants. Um, you know, do you want to hear this quote? I have this quote from Embiid here. This is great. Uh, this is from after practice today. He was asked about it. He said, at the end of the day, our job is not to babysit somebody. We get paid to produce on the court, go out, play hard, win some games. That's what we get paid for. We don't get paid to come out here and try to babysit somebody. So that's not our job. And I'm sure my teammates feel that way. I mean, what an indictment from the star player of the team, your teammate, who's like, get out of here. Our job isn't to just watch you while you sit around here and pout. That's, I mean, there's, uh, he can't come back. Like, what do you do now? You just don't show up. You just don't show up. You save as much space. I mean, as much as like it seems like a coward move to do, like save as much space as possible and just don't show up. Like, you know, he's 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 in a situation right now where he's on still on a max contract. He's got like four years, one hundred forty-seven million dollars left on his contract. It's a max contract. You're gonna have to find someone to take that on. Um, the least that you could do is like not show that you're not a distraction to your team when you don't want to be there. Um, and Ben Simmons isn't doing that. Um, he hasn't handled criticism for his play in the playoffs. Well, uh, for the mistakes that he's made, he's, he's shown that, uh, he takes everything too personally and then he's not able to capitalize on it. He's no MJ. He's no MJ where he can take things personally and then go out and capitalize and make things better and prove people wrong. He's just going to take it personally and then take his ball and go home. You know, that's, that's exactly what Ben Simmons is doing. Uh, if I'm him, I'm embarrassed. Um, the one game suspension, I think is a mute point. Cause I don't think he was going to show up to that game anyway, but you know, it, it really is just a, it's, it's a disheartening thing to see from a guy that really is talented. That has a lot of talent. Maybe he doesn't have, uh, all the tools that a, that a elite NBA player should have, but it's, it's, it's disheartening to see. I, I just want to know what the end game is here. If you're Ben Simmons, like, why did you come back and do all this? What, what is this supposed to get you out of Philly quicker by making the situation worse? You, uh, you know, you increase the sense of urgency to get you out of there. Is this 
uh, you know, what, like, what's the motivation for doing this? Because this seems just like a horrible move. If you wanted to have any value to any team that wants to come get you. I mean, like, who's calling the Sixers now after seeing the way that he's behaved himself? And they're going to and some GM is going to go trade for him and then go down to the to the roster and say, hey, listen, guys, uh, we just traded for Ben Simmons. He's a great teammate. He's going to be bought in. You know, he's all about the team like BS. I mean, there's no one's going to believe that. So what what is Ben Simmons doing? I don't know. Uh, ultimately, like you said, it is a shame because he's an extremely talented player. We'll see how this plays out. I can't expect that he would return to the team. I don't know how you face the team after the way you've behaved yourself. So I, it's, it's a fascinating situation. That's not over. I didn't see it taking this sort of turn. I expected him to just sit out until he got traded. Didn't expect him to come back and throw a fit and get kicked out. I mean, that is just, uh, it's just wild, Mitch. Yeah, I mean, it's it like I said, and I can't say it enough. Embarrassing for embarrassing. Ben Sims. Absolutely. All right, uh, Mitch. Let's talk about a bit of news around the world of college football. Uh, oh yeah, co- conference expansion has been uh, the storyline for the, fa- the for the past few months. Uh, Texas, Oklahoma, announcing they would join the SEC. The Big Twelve followed that up uh, by getting BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. Poaching from the American Athletic Conference, the AAC has attempted to poach into the Mountain West, first seeking out Boise State and San Diego State, who refused, then uh, getting refused by Air Force in Colorado State. Now the reports are, Mitch, that the American Athletic Conference expects to receive applications from six schools and that by the end of the week, they will, it'll be more or less a formality. They will be on their way to joining the conference. Those six universities are Florida Atlantic, Charlotte, North Texas, UTSA, Rice, and UAB. It's a fascinating move in the world of realignment. Uh, when you look at these six specific teams, all from Conference USA, none of them besides maybe UTSA and some past successes from a uh, you know, handful of programs, none of them very significant in the, in just the world of college football uh, as far as being prominent right now. What it does reflect though, is the American athletic conferences desire to focus on markets, North Texas and the Dallas Fort Worth area, UTSA, San Antonio rice in Houston, Florida, Atlantic and Miami, Charlotte, in Charlotte and UAB being in the heart of college football in Alabama, clearly they value those TV markets for potentially higher deals in the end and maybe see long-term growth, right? Being in such uh, hotbeds for football like Texas and Florida, you know, being in big markets where attention could, could grow and infrastructure could grow and produce better football product. It's a fascinating move in realignment. Mitch, what are your thoughts on these six schools and this move by the AAC to expand to uh, what I I believe will be 14 teams uh, once uh, those six join? Yeah, uh, 14 teams. Navy is the only football-only member, while Wichita State does not have a football program. Right. Um, Shout out to Ted Lasso. Right. Contrary to what Ted Lasso (laughs) may may make you believe. (laughs) Um, But a a very wise move, I think, by the AAC. We were just talking about this before. It was like, obviously, there's always going to be group of five and power five. But what if you consider that that one group of five team to be kind of the the quasi sixth power conference? And AAC seems to be – the AAC seems to kind of start – 
heading in that direction. None of these programs really with rich football program, uh, rich football um, histories or backgrounds. Uh, Florida Atlantic had some success in recent years. Uh, UTSA currently right now a top 25 team. Rice had success like in the forties and fifties. So like whatever, <laughs> um, actually a very good, a very good college football program in the forties and fifties in the, in, you know, the, the early years of college football, but you know, Charlotte, North Texas, UAB, there's not that rich history there. Um, but when you, when you transit, when, you know, when you look at what the, the moves that they're trying to make, um, I, I really like this. I really like this whole deal for the AAC and the colleges involved. I think this puts them on the forefront. Like you said, the big markets, um, and, uh, a lot of these teams play power five conference teams. And that, you know, when you get more competitive schedules, uh, you, you tend to bring in uh, better high school recruits into your, into your program. So, um, I think great moves for the colleges, great moves for the AAC. Um, and it, it's going to be really exciting to see how this unfolds. I know they're not, it's not finalized, but they're extremely close to getting this deal done. Yeah, it's you know it's in the works for sure. Uh, it is an interesting move, Mitch. The Conference USA did reach out to the American Athletic Conference after Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati announced their intentions to join the Big 12 about a potential merger or at least an agreement uh, to combine the remaining AAC and Conference USA teams and sort of form maybe a super conference. The AAC was not interested in that. Clearly, they're more interested in poaching the top teams from that conference and leaving Conference USA in the wake. What will Conference USA do now? Look at the Sun Belt, maybe the MAC. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's a combination with the Sun Belt to uh, sort of, you know, survive in the meantime. Uh, you know, what I think is interesting, Mitch, in 2013, the AAC expanded in large part with a huge chunk of Conference USA teams. And a lot of those teams have developed into some of the best teams in the AAC now. And so, you know, eight years down the road, a lot of those programs were able to grow. The AAC for the past decade has probably been the top group of five conference. And, you know, even though Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, those are big losses. At the same time, the infrastructure there, the, the, the contract and the relationship with ESPN, uh, you know, I think this could be a really positive move for them moving forward. And just another domino, ultimately, in, in, uh, in conference expansion uh, as a result of, uh, really, Texas and Oklahoma. You know, if Texas and Oklahoma don't leave for the SEC, none of this is happening. Uh, but here we are, and uh, it is fascinating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just great additions, especially when you're losing programs like Houston and Cincinnati um, and UCF and um, USF. Correct. No, no, no. They're only losing three. They're losing three. So yeah, Houston, Cincinnati and UCF. um, Great additions uh, to kind of supplement that loss that you had, you know, kind of three of your, of your premier programs gone to the big 12 and now you're adding uh, a, a six, Six competent programs, at least. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, Mitch, a uh, little bit of news here. <laughs> this is a weird situation here. College football, we've seen some, uh, you know, some big firing, some big sort of, uh, you know, a job openings already. We, You know, uh, Clay Helton, most notably with USC, out pretty quick into this season. That's going to be uh, a hot seat, uh, you know, a, a, a place to watch in the offseason as they find a new head coach. LSU despite a big win over Florida announced this week that Ed Orgeron is going to be out as the head coach, but he's not out now, Mitch. He's out at the end of the season. And yet 
you know, in the middle of October, they felt it necessary to announce that he was going to be done after the season's over, but not right now. So Coach O is now awkwardly hanging out in Baton Rouge till the end of the season, knowing that he's going to move on, uh, knowing that they're going to find a new head coach. Uh, they're going to play the rest of the season out with this. Why would they do this? Why are you announcing now that you're going to fire him at the end of the year and making him coach the rest of the season out? This, I've never seen this, probably because it's a horrible idea. What are they thinking, Mitch? On the heels know. of a big win. You beat a rival. Like, I mean, come on. What are you, I mean, what are you doing? The only reason I can see is they're not happy with the previous year. They're not maybe not happy with how this year has started. And Coach O is pulling them a solid. He's pulling them a solid and going, yeah, I'll, I'll hold it because basically maybe they're maybe they're not confident in appointing an interim on that staff. Um, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. Um, I tried to compare it to Phil Jackson and the 98 Bulls um, <laughs> when he was basically told, uh, you, you can go 82-0 and 0 and you're not going to coach this team next year. Um, the only difference is, is we didn't know that until the last dance came out 21 years later. And, you know, this was in a press conference last week. Yeah, like they announced so, this in the middle of the season. So the only, the only, <laughs> the only thing I could see that could possibly be happening is that Coach O is pulling them a solid because they don't have an interim they're confident in, um, and they want to keep like maybe recruiting numbers up. Maybe they want some, you know, maybe they'll keep Coach O to to continue to recruit players to LSU. Um, a very likable guy. Um, but it, I, I, at the same time, it's going to be hard for a recruit to commit to LSU if they like Coach O when Coach O is not going to be there. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a very confusing thing. I'm not sure exactly what the motive is behind uh, them keeping Coach O through the end of the year and not just ending it now. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation, Mitch. It's a very weird situation. I don't know why they're doing this in the middle of the season. But hey, uh, it's just another big, you know, you look at the, the upper echelon of head coaching opportunities in college football and LSU and USC, despite, you know, lack of recent success, are both at the top of that, you know, in that upper tier of head coaching opportunities. And USC was already open. LSU adding that to the mix just makes this whole uh, off, you know, this whole offseason even more interesting when it comes to who's going to fill these jobs. Uh, we were talking before we started. Uh, the name I'm most interested in watching for both of these jobs is the Cincinnati head coach, Luke Fickle. Uh, and I know that Cincinnati will be in a Power Five conference here in a few years uh, when they join the Big 12, but. Being a bottom half team in the Big 12, or at least a mid-tier team for a couple of years till you, you know, reach the the heights of your conference, is a lot different than being the head coach at USC or LSU. So that could be, I mean, that should be a hot name. They're the number two team in the country right now. They were a top 10 team last year. I mean, if there's anyone out there who deserves a, sh a leap like that, uh, that's a guy that I think is interesting. You mentioned a name I thought uh, was intriguing as we talked before. Yeah, Lane Kiffin. I mean, what if Matt Crow leaves for the NFL and he doesn't see a, a, you know, he doesn't see a window for success moving forward and either LSU comes calling or hell, maybe what if he goes back to USC? He was there at one point in his career. Um, you, you know, what if that, what if that happens? Um, it, way more of a what if than I think maybe a, a legit, you know, a 
actual possibility. Um, but you know, you bring up the Luke fickle thing. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. The AD at USC was also the AD at Cincinnati. Yeah. I, I know so, there's a connection between the there's two. There's a connection for sure. between the two. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe th- that makes him a front runner for the USC job. Yeah. And Lane Kiffin goes, Hey, I can go coach a premier team in LSU in the SEC. Right. Um, and, and, and join that staff. So, you know, right. there's, I mean, there's and, a lot of, there's a lot of moves that could happen. Yeah. And Lane Kiffin, you know, obviously having success with Ole Miss, they're number 12 in the country right now, uh, already in the sec, would he want to, uh, move to a top tier program in the league? I, you know, if you're going to be in college football, the sec is the best place to be. One of the top, you know, jobs in that conference, Georgia, you know, uh, Alabama, LSU, Florida. I mean, you can get one of those. That's a really good spot to be in. So, uh, it, it'll definitely be interesting to watch this offseason as that all emerges. Uh, Mitch, before we wrap up the news, uh, as you all know here, this is the official podcast of the Seattle Kraken. Go Kraken. And, uh, you know, we have to do a weekly update every week on how the boys are doing. So we've got a fun little drop here, uh, you know, to talk about this. Mitch, uh, it's time to to get into the Kraken. Release the Kraken. Yes, release the Kraken. We we love it. Uh, thanks to Liam Neeson for that uh, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful sounder there. Uh, the Kraken so far on the season, one, two, and one. One win, two losses, one overtime loss. So three points on the season for the Kraken right now. Mitch, they're losing to the uh, what are the New Jersey Devils? Yeah, three to, three to one in the second uh, second quarter. So. Uh, you know, it's a rough start for the expansion team as expected, but the boys showing heart already got a win on the season, which is big. And you know what? We're going to, it's going to be a grind. It's a long season here on the ice. It's a long season. It's an, what is it, an 82 game season. It's the same length as the NBA. Yeah. Um, yeah, we definitely know that. Something like that. We're, we're brand new to hockey. Okay. folks. <laughs> we're brand new to hockey. Um, they got that first dub against the predators uh, last Thursday, a four, three win. Um, then that OT, uh, loss was to the, uh, to the blue jackets. Um, so, you know, the team's starting out. Okay. I, I think as good as a, as a, an expansion team can look through their first four games. Um, not every team is going to look like the golden Knights did where they are an expansion team and they're a playoff in their perennial playoff team from their first year of existence. No one, no, no franchise in the history of sports has ever looked like that except for the golden Knights. Um, and the Kraken might, you know, it's early. We're only five it's, it's games early. into the season. It's you know, early. That's what we're saying. So it's an okay start, you know, for the Kraken. We're, we're, we're doing okay. Uh, right now, the goals leader, Brandon Tanev, three goals on the season. Uh, you guys got to look up t- his last name spelled T A N E V. Go look him up on ESPN. Look his profile. His profile picture is insane. Oh, he's got two black eyes. It's insane. Just go look at the picture. He just, it's, it's, it's a great one. So my God, he's a serial killer. Yeah. I mean, look at, he looks like a, he looks like he plays hockey. Honestly. I mean, he just looks like that guy, that guy plays hockey and hits 
people while skating around on the ice. Uh, it's he, great. He, so, he either plays hockey or he kills people. Or like, or, he, or he's in a Netflix documentary, but not a good one. Uh, so make, you know. <laughs> Making a Murderer Season 3. <laughs> so, anywho, the Kraken doing great. We'll be updating you every week as the uh, NHL season goes along. Uh, you know, it's nice. This is the first... A uh, year in a in a long time that ESPN and the NHL have had this deal uh, to air the games, and as a result, lots of hockey games on ESPN Plus. As a ESPN Plus subscriber, big win for me. I actually get to catch some hockey in our Kraken uh, because I get that access to ESPN Plus. So that's been a big win. I've enjoyed that this season so far. All right, now that about wraps up our news segment. I think for the day, let's jump into. Uh, a little bit of NFL recap. Let's go to London. Across the pond, we had an NFL game, an NFL matchup between the Miami Dolphins and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, something that I said last week was that anytime you go to London, this is essentially a Jaguars home game because they play in London every year. It seems like they have really acclimated well to going across the pond, playing on a lagged schedule, and, and performing in London. Jaguars get it done 23-21. Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence get their first career NFL wins. Urban Meyer, um, maybe not overcoming the controversy that he was involved in just a couple weeks ago, but he can at least prove that he can win in the NFL, even if it is against a struggling Miami team, Miami, um, and having all sorts of issues on both sides of the ball. So, Dallin, uh, I think what we should start with is probably Jacksonville. Let's get the winner out of the way. Um, what did you like? What didn't you like? What did you see that made you believe that maybe Jacksonville isn't the worst team in the NFL? Because now they don't have the worst record in the NFL anymore. Yeah, you know, only the Lions are uh, winless this season, 0-6. Uh, you know, Jacksonville up a tier with the one-win teams, including this Dolphins team. Uh, I do like that, uh, you know, you and I, for some odd reason, both picked the Jags to win in our quick picks. And hey, look at us getting rewarded by Urban Meyer. That's not bad. Hey, you know, that's not pretty bad. good. Uh, the only thing, you know, they were going to get a win eventually. Uh, I did love, I did enjoy the play call toward the end of the game. Uh, they were sort of um, borderline field goal range. Probably would have been a long field goal. Um Instead of taking a shot towards the end zone, they ran a quick slant with like six seconds left to LaVisca Chenault. The only play that you could run to get a first down and stop the clock with a timeout, which they did, left themselves a second or two left uh, and was able to kick that game-winning field goal uh, at, at a much more reasonable mark. And so I loved that aggressive play called. Uh, Miami was not ready for that. Uh, I thought they were going to air it out or take a shot or at least go towards the sideline. Uh, I thought that was a great play call. Give themselves an opportunity. Uh, Trevor Lawrence had one of his best games of his young career. I thought he looked pretty solid. Uh, ultimately, Mitch, I think, you know, for Jacksonville, uh, you know, aside from the Miami stuff for Jacksonville, they were going to get a win eventually. Uh, you know, it came against another struggling team, but good to get the monkey off your back. If you will get that first dub and who knows what sort of momentum this can build for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm not so worried about what kind of momentum this builds. I don't think this is – I still don't think this is a very good team. Um, and I don't know if Urban Meyer is really cut out to coach in the NFL, especially when you start 0-5. And, 
it's tough to start believing in someone right off the bat after after one win uh, in London of all games. So um, Urban Meyer, at least uh, for his record, he's undefeated in other in other continents outside of America. So, uh, so he, he better hope the NFL expands to Europe because uh, that's going to be his only shot at success. So, you know, he, at least he has that banner he can hold high. Um, Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, looked for, you know, looked pretty confident, 25 for 41, 319 and a touchdown. Um, James Robinson contributed on the ground with 17 for 73 and a touchdown. Um, you know, he spread the ball around well. The defense played very well, but Miami is just, uh, I think this game, maybe the narrative is a little bit more about Miami's struggles than it is Jacksonville's success here because Miami is really digging themselves a hole. Uh, that we did not think that they were going to be in at the start of the season. Yeah, you know, Miami now one in five on the season. Uh, they were 10 and six last year. And a boy, you know, the seven, just that first team out in the playoffs uh, a season ago. And, uh, you know, yeah, they had, they missed Tua for a couple games. He comes back in this game. And, you know, I, I don't think Tua was the issue at all. I mean, they definitely couldn't run the ball. Only 77 uh, yards on the ground on 20 carries, 3.9 uh, per carry there. Uh, but Tua, you know, 33 for 47, 329, two touchdowns, one really bad pick, but he took no sacks. Uh, you know, I thought, you know, I thought Tua looked pretty, pretty good, all things considered, especially coming off the injury. He wasn't the issue. This, this Miami's Dolphins team, uh, this defense has been a disappointment all season, really. We thought this would be the strength that carried this team. They have not been that. And as a result, the offense has struggled as we would expect. And the team's losing. So uh, Miami, what looked like such a promising situation, now turns uh, for the worst, Mitch. They don't even, they don't own their own first pick, first round pick. Uh, That goes to the Philadelphia Eagles, who they traded with to move up in the draft to draft Jalen Waddell. They do own the Niners first round pick, but I've, you know, we would expect at this point with the Dolphins at one and five, that the Niners will be picking behind them in the draft. And so, uh, you know, could be a decent pick, but probably not as good as their own. Things are, you know, unless they drastically turn around here. I mean, if you can't even beat the Jags, what hope do they have this season? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just, it seems like things are really heading south um, for, for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Brian Flores had a lot of confidence in him and his ability to, to lead this team uh, seems like that when the tough gets going, the tough beats Brian Flores right now. Um, and, you know, not to say that they, they, you know, that the team as, as a whole hasn't um, aren't feeling the same effects that Brian Flores is. Uh, but you would think that a, a coach that's as competent as Brian Flores might be able to lead him out of this hole. Uh, that just seems to not be the case. Uh, Tua had to throw the ball 47 times. Uh, 33 for 47 actually looked pretty decent 33 for 47 329 and two and one um, but the run game wasn't there at all Jacksonville stepped up defensively in the run game um, against the banged up Miami Dolphins team just uh, you know lots of question marks surrounding the Miami Dolphins after this London game yeah, for sure. You know, and for Jacksonville, you know, they haven't been able to get it done in the swamps of Jacksonville, but hey, the bogs of London, not too shabby, right? So, you know, you'll, you'll love to see it. Mitch, let's move on uh, to the next game here. One of the most surprising results of the week, Chargers, Ravens, the game that I thought was game of the week, uh, arguably game of the week was not 
34 to six. The Ravens just absolutely dominated the Chargers in this game. Uh, the Chargers rushed for 26 total yards in the game. 12 carries, 26 total yards. Herbert was under 200 yards passing. Uh, QBR of just 18.6. Uh, this Baltimore Ravens defense, despite injuries, despite missing some guys not being quite as good as maybe the years past, I mean, they showed up in this game. And the offense continued to be able to run the ball. Uh, Lamar didn't even have his best game. It didn't matter. They still dominated the Chargers. This was a the most surprising outcome to me this week. Yeah, I, I'm not any lower on the Chargers than I was a week ago. I think they played a very good, a rolling Ravens team. A Ravens team that came in with a ton of momentum. Uh, Lamar Jackson, um, arms still in question even after the week five performance. Um, you know, with the two picks and the, you know, against the, uh, and, and, and Chargers I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to be, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be fair here. The Chargers are a good defense. Yeah. I'm going to be fair here. The Chargers are a very good defense. Um, but that seemed to unfaze them. Um, I would like to call this backfield now, uh, WUU washed up university, um, <laughs> with Devonta Freeman, Latavius Murray and Le'Veon Bell heading that backfield. Um, it seemed to do a very good job rushing over a hundred for over a hundred yards collectively. Um, while also getting three touchdowns, Devonta Freeman, Murray and bell all getting in the end zone, yeah. um, against the chargers. So, um, it, you know, it, it was, uh, it was a matchup of defenses and one offense seemed to figure out, I guess, enough of another defense to, to get the job done. Um, the Chargers, I don't think any less of them. I still think I would still say that they are my favorite to win the AFC West. Um, if the Chiefs continue to kind of flounder around and not super impress, um, but um, you know the, the Ravens are rolling. They came out and they beat a team uh, handily, a good team handily. Yeah, I mean it's a really impressive win for the Ravens. I don't think it's a bad loss for the Chargers either. Uh, you know this still is a young a team with a young quarterback and a young head coach. You're going to expect some duds every once in a while, and better that it comes against a really good team like the Baltimore Ravens than you know a team that's not so good that you really shouldn't lose to so learning experience for herbert and this uh and this chargers team and you know for the ravens despite you know suffering i think they've had they put the most players on the ir this year of any team and yet they're five and one now uh just absolutely rolling uh after losing that monday night game week one in dramatic fashion against the raiders they haven't lost since and uh you know no matter who they've thrown back there in that running in that backfield as you mentioned they've been able to get it done so uh, i thought this was impressive for the ravens i think it shows that you know we talk about the bills being in the top tier of the afc obviously the chiefs despite the struggles you'd expect them there and i think you know, our, I think honestly what they've shown so far, I think the Ravens deserve to be in that conversation with how solid this defense is and, and how well Lamar Jackson has played this season despite some up and down games and, and the fact that they can just run the ball no matter who's back there. That's what they've proven this year, and that makes a dangerous team. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, if they can continue to plug and play at the running back position and Lamar Jackson keeps them afloat, the defense does a good enough job, uh, this team will be just fine. Um, continuing to talk about the AFC North, let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals visiting the Cleveland Browns. Um, Browns fall to three and three, losing to the Cardinals 37, 14 Kyler Murray continues his 
MVP caliber ways, completing 67% of his passes for four touchdowns. Uh, James Conner continues to have a rebound year for 71 yards on the ground on 16 carries. Um, the defense playing exceptionally well against a Cleveland Browns offense that has been potent at times. Uh, I think there's two takeaways from here. There are two questions I think we should ask. Number one, should we worry about the Cleveland Browns? I mean, this is a Browns team that on paper the last couple of years has looked really good. We knew that we, we had talked about it numerous times in this pod. We were just a year too early on the Browns. Now we've seen the Browns put multiple years of success back to back together. And now they come into this year and they're three and three to start the year. Should we be worried about the Browns? Let's start with that one. And then we'll get into the second question. Yeah. You know, I think that's a fair question, Mitch. Uh, part of this loss you can chalk up to injuries. No Nick Chubb in this game. Kareem Hunt, Kareem Hunt gets injured in this game. Uh, Baker gets banged up. You know, he's, he's probably okay, but you know, he's not super healthy. They were missing both their starting tackles in this game. And so that's not going to help you either. Uh, you know, so all that aside, yes, I still think there should be some worry about the, about the Cleveland Browns, Mitch. They're three and three on the season. There are three wins have come against the Texans, the Bears, Vikings. Objectively, not the best teams in the NFL. The three losses have come against the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Cardinals. And yes, those are some of the best teams in the NFL, but the fact that you couldn't get a win against any of those teams, if you're a Super Bowl contender, if you're an AFC favorite, then you've got to be able to beat those teams or you're not getting anywhere, Well, you know, if you make the playoffs. And so that would be my concern they're beating the teams they're supposed to, but they're not, I mean, close games against the Chiefs and the, and the Chargers, obviously not a close game here this past week against the Cardinals, but I think there's a clear ceiling when one, they're not healthy and they can just run the ball at will because of Baker Mayfield at quarterback. I think this game sort of exposes the difference in situation that the Cardinals and the Browns are in the Cardinals with what could potentially be one of the best quarterbacks in the league, a guy who's playing at that, at that level and Kyler Murray, a dynamic athlete and how much that helps them versus a Baker Mayfield. Who's more limited and more, you know, uh, he, he requires more around him. He requires a strong infrastructure and a, and a great offensive line and a strong run game to find that success. And the Kyler Murray types we've seen to be able to do a little more on their own, carry a little bit more of the workload as a top tier uh, quarterback in the league. So for Cleveland, they got to get healthy. If they're healthy, this defense is really good. This offense when it's healthy can, can be really dominant. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is not a great start for Cleveland. You would have hoped they could have beat one of these top tier teams. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. You know, health is going to be the big question mark for the Cleveland Browns throughout the duration of the season. Can they get healthy? I still think that they're a playoff caliber team, but I think as far as um, a Super Bowl caliber, Super Bowl contender, um, that's out the window for me. Um, you know, if you can't win when you're not healthy, and put and figure something else out uh, when you're obviously when your quarterback is banged up, that that's a huge deal. Um, we saw it with the Raiders when they went 12 and four, when Derek Carter was having an MVP caliber season and they had to result to Connor cook to play that playoff game. Um, you know, the quarterback goes a long way. I think that with health, the Browns are good when they don't have health. The Browns aren't that good. Um, and it's because I think maybe that's just a top-heavy lineup. Now, my second question would be, normally, 
knowing me would be, do we need to fix the roughing the passer call in the NFL? <laughs> and I think that that's a, that's a resounding yes. There was a very clear, no, there was a very clear roughing the passer call that shouldn't have been roughing the passer. But I think that, uh, you know, there's a vast majority in that, that we don't even need to talk about this. My real question is, should we hold the Arizona Cardinals in the regard as the best team in the NFC. I know coming in to this season that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were, were the, the incumbent to that role. Um, the Buccaneers have not played as well as the Arizona, Arizona Cardinals have. The Cardinals have played great defense. The offense we know is absolutely explosive. Should we be holding this team in regards right now as the best team in the NFC? Yeah, I mean, I think they've earned that at this point now, 6-0. and And the NFC, you know, solid. Green Bay's 5-1. and L.A., the Rams 5-1. and Tampa Bay 5-1. and Dallas 5-1. and uh, But the Cardinals are undefeated. And Mitch, you know, I look ahead at their schedule. And, you know, they have them, you know, the makings to be able to sustain this. You know, they have Houston this week, a Thursday night matchup against Green Bay in a couple weeks, October 28th. That's going to be a great game, big test. But then after that, Mitch, you've got Niners, Panthers, Seahawks, Bears before a December 13th matchup with the Rams. So if you can win that Thursday night game against Green Bay, you're going to have five games that you should be favored in and we could be talking about a 12-0 and Cardinals team heading into that matchup with L.A. So they are in a position where, yeah, I mean, Browns is going to be a tough test on the road. You pass that. Can you win at home on Thursday night against Green Bay in a couple weeks? And can you take care of business against, quote-unquote, lesser teams? This Cardinals team is really legit. This defense is solid. This offense is really good. Kyler Murray's playing at an MVP level. And I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Certainly not this week against the Texans. Not to mention the offensive addition of Zach Ertz that just came earlier this week. Or, Great point. So actually late last week, excuse me, uh, because Philly played the Thursday night game, so he couldn't play on Sunday. Um, so now that's two, uh, two players on the same team that both have wives that play for the same uh, a professional soccer team right in 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 the in the uh, united states yes. so, jj jj watt and, and zach Ertz, yes right so you know yeah i mean uh, uh, outstanding team there is no doubt in my mind that this is this is the best team in the nfc um at least for now because you know that could change week in and week out as you know um uh, as as any nfl fan knows uh, let's move on to the last game that we're going to cover here in this, uh, the Monday night matchup between the Titans and the bills, probably, uh, one of the more competitive, if not game of the week last week, uh, the most compet one of the most competitive games that we had all week, um, coming down to a fourth quarter, um, 10 point comeback by the, by the, uh, Tennessee Titans, uh, Josh Allen looked great. The run game though, for the Buffalo bills. And I think this is where I want to start Dallin. Were we tricked? by the first few weeks of the run game of the Buffalo bills, because they, they seem to revert to 2020 Buffalo um, with the run performance that they had uh, with Devin Singletary only getting five touches, Zach Moss getting eight and um, nothing really much to show for it on either end. Yeah, no, I don't think we were getting fooled, Mitch. I just think this is the reality of this running back group that even in a season where it looks better than it did and you might have some games where it is actually working, you are going to run into the games like 
like Monday night where the run game just doesn't work and it forces you to be one dimensional. Uh, and I think that that's sort of uh, just the situation the bills are in unless Devin Singletary or Zach Moss can emerge as a legit RB one, you know, a re- legit running back in this league, they're going to run into this issue even if the committee as a whole can be pretty solid. So, uh, you know, they just got to be able to overcome that with Josh Allen. And they were just, you know, came up a little bit short. I thought the call to go for it on fourth and one when you're in field goal range to tie it up and send it to overtime. I don't hate the call, Mitch. I don't hate the call going for it because you get that first down. You still have a shot at a field goal, but you've put yourself in the position to win the game. And I don't hate the call of QB sneak with Josh Allen, who is your best player. It was just poorly executed. I mean, or I guess it was well played by Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle from Tennessee, absolutely blew his offensive lineman up and and just stymied Josh Allen. He got nothing on it, and that was the game. I don't hate that call. I I understand it. Just didn't work that time, and and Buffalo ends up losing the game. In hindsight, you can easily say should have kicked the field goal, gone to OT. But you know, you never know how that plays out, anyway. So I, I don't know what you thought of that. Did you did you agree with that that call to to not kick the field goal and go for it? I mean, it's gutsy. It's gutsy. Um, I I'm always a fan of the gutsy call. Um, Same. So you know, I, I I don't I don't hate the call. What I think I have the bigger problem with is that Tennessee was playing from behind for a lot of the game and you continue to throw the football and you didn't even have a guy touch the ball 10 times. Right. Um, you're leading, your leading rusher as far as touches go was Josh Allen. So, you know, it, it goes back to, you know, maybe put the, put the ball in your hands of the guys in the backfield that are paid to run the football. Um, not that Josh Allen isn't paid to do that because he's asked to do a lot of things in that offense. Um, but, you know, maybe you should be, putting the ball in your, in your running back's hands a little bit more control the clock, you know, you, ball control and controlling the clock is a huge part of winning a football game. And the bills just didn't do that when it came down to um, uh, running the football. I, ha- I have a big problem with that. And I think that that's something that Buffalo needs to iron out and change uh, in the weeks moving forward. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and for Tennessee, you know, the defense, you know, that's a big stop there. It gives you the win. That's huge. Uh, Derrick Henry dominate as always 20 carries 143 yards three touchdowns a 76 yard run where he just it was a classic Derrick Henry where he hits the hole and boom he's gone and you're like that is a huge ass man outrunning everybody it is it's always fun to watch Uh, you know Henry dominate as always uh, in this game and you know big game from AJ Brown which was big Julio went out uh, you know part you know in the middle of the game with an injury AJ Brown struggling with some injury this this uh season but seven receptions 91 yards wasn't a great day for Tannehill but uh you know Tennessee gets the win and uh hey I mean you you were able to get a game against what people were talking about as the best team in the NFL I mean we talked about last week on this podcast is this the best team in the NFL not just the AFC in the Buffalo Bills so great win for Tennessee who remains in control of the AFC South yeah, last five games for Derrick Henry, he hasn't touched the ball fewer than 20 times. He's rushed the ball over 110 times in each of those games and has scored three touchdowns in three of those <laughs> last five games. Um, it, you and I have said it uh, off air, uh, not even in podcast conversations. This is a man among boys when he touches the football. Um, yeah, Derrick Henry uh, absolutely dominating um, at his position and really any defense that he comes up against right now. 
Yeah, uh, for sure. Even, even a formidable Bills defense. Um, that is going to wrap up, I believe, our NFL recap. Those are the games that we have uh, chosen to, to cover. Um, let's get in to a little bit of college football. Yes, yeah, time for the uh, the campus tour here as we take a look into uh, the world of college football. Uh, start with the AP poll, top 10 rankings, the notable notes. Uh, first off, Mitch, Iowa, the Hawkeyes, move up to number two after beating Penn State last week and immediately blow it, uh, losing to Purdue and falling to 11th in the AP poll from number two. So a uh, precipitous fall for the Hawkeyes who only managed to hang around for a single week before losing uh, shameful performance for this Iowa team. I happen to think we were, they were probably a little overrated at that point. I mean, you watch that Penn state game and unless Sean Clifford goes out and he wasn't even good in that game, but he goes out with the injury and the backup was like the worst backup quarterback you'd ever seen in your life. And so Iowa survives, but it's like, if that guy comes in and is semi-competent, they probably end up losing that game to Penn state anyways, you know, despite an awful performance at quarterback. So uh, tough scenes for the Hawkeyes, Mitch, who fall out of the top 10 and the new number two in the country now, the Cincinnati Bearcats of the American Athletic Conference, a G5 number two, first time since TCU, uh, as we mentioned on the podcast last week. Uh, big deal for the Bearcats. This is the Sugar Bowl matchup from uh, a season ago, Georgia-Cincinnati, and now they're 1-2 at the top of the polls. You love to see it. Yeah, you do. I mean, the Cincinnati team is for real. Um, I think even regardless of the, of the, the schedule that they're criticized for having, this team, this team is legit. This team is very legit. Um, yeah, I mean, Iowa, I, I should have seen the Iowa thing coming, right? They're, Spencer Petras was the quarterback. He throws four picks. Um, awful game. And he awful, wasn't good against game. Penn State either. Like, it was no. literally just their defense that carried them. Yeah, no, it really is the defense. And I think that I thought because – there are so many, I mean, so many great defenses in the top 10 that maybe the defense might be able to carry them. That's just not the case. You have to have a well-rounded team. Um, Oklahoma's an example of that, where you have a well-rounded team. You know, you, you have a guy like Caleb Williams be able to step in uh, and, and complement a great defense. Uh, Iowa just doesn't have that. Iowa has a great defense and kind of a middle-of-the-road offense. So, um, should have seen it coming. Iowa falls to number 11. Cincinnati, though, for real. Yeah, they, Cin- they're for real. Cincinnati is legit. And to update you on the top 10 of the rankings, Georgia number one, Cincinnati two, Oklahoma moves to three, Alabama, your Crimson Tide, Mitch, number four, Ohio State back up into the top five this week with the fall of Iowa. Uh, the remaining top five, top 10 is Michigan. Penn State, Oklahoma State moving into the top 10 this week, up to number eight, Michigan State at number nine, and the Oregon Ducks, number 10. Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma well represented here, both top eight teams, uh, number three and number eight, respectively. Uh, Other than that, Mitch, continues to be a lot of Big Ten representation in the uh, AP poll here, four top, uh, four Big Ten teams in the top 10. Yeah, the Big Ten's legit. The Big Ten is really legit, and that, not to say that they're going to, uh, you know, unseat the SEC as the king of college football because the SEC still is the king of college football. Yes. I believe that. Am yeah. I, am I but the Big Ten is definitely second. 
And I think that's unquestioned that they're the second best conference out there. Oh, uh, yeah. Another note just on the AP Top 25, Mitch, the UTSA Roadrunners, who we mentioned before. You mentioned they're ranked. They entered the, the rankings this week at number 24. Uh, I don't know if this is the first time they've ever been ranked in the Top 25, but it's certainly, uh, if it's not, the first time in a long time. So shout out to the Roadrunners there uh, having a fantastic season. Uh, Mitch, this week in college football, uh, week nine, week eight in college football, uh, some interesting matchups that the people should be paying attention to. Let's start 1230 Pacific on ABC. The number 10 ranked Oregon Ducks at UCLA at the Rose Bowl. Uh, Mitch, this is one of the biggest tests remaining for this Oregon Ducks who sort of hold the Pac-12's fate in the college football playoff in its own in their hands. Uh you know, only one loss to Stanford, but the win at number three, Ohio State's going to kind of keep them up in this conversation as long as they can keep winning at UCLA this week. The only other really tough game is maybe at Utah on November 20th, depending on how this Utah team looks, who is, you know, playing really well right now, just beat ASU uh, this past weekend in Salt Lake City. So uh, this is definitely one of the tougher tests remaining for the Oregon Ducks and UCLA, uh, you know, had that early ranking, have fallen off, but five and two on the season. This is a really good offense led by uh, the the running back, Zach Charbonnet. This should be a, a good matchup and a really good test for Oregon. Yeah, it should be a really good test for Oregon. And I think that if they win this game, they might as well lock up the North in the, in the pack 12, because Oregon state has a tough matchup this week against Utah. Right. And Utah is a very tough unranked team. Um, If they don't pull that out and Oregon gets that dub this week, I think that we can look at Oregon and go, Hey, they got this locked up because the following games at Colorado, Washington, uh, Wazoo, they have the tough matchup against Utah and then Oregon state ultimately uh, right after Thanksgiving. So, um, you know, if, if they win this game, Oregon State loses this game because they're the only one lost teams left in that conference, or at least in that division of that conference, um, then we could talk about Oregon uh, winning that Pac-12, going to a Pac-12 championship game. Absolutely. Uh, Mitch, next game here, uh, great ACC matchup, same time, 1230 Pacific on ESPN, Clemson at Pitt, uh, the Pittsburgh Panthers. The guy to watch here, Mitch, Quarterback Kenny Pickett, uh, you know, in this year of, of college football, you know, we've discussed the quarterback class, the player to watch, the player to know before the NFL draft last week was quarterback Malik Willis. It's been up in the air, right? Who's the guy, the quarterback who's arguably been playing the best of anybody in college football this year is Kenny Pickett from Pitt. Among quarterbacks with at least 300 snaps, Mitch, He's the highest PFF grade of any uh, in all of college football. 92.5 PFF grade on the season for Kenny Pickett. That's ahead of Malik Willis, Bryce Young, Matt Corral, all of them. He's the highest graded uh, in the in, in college football. And he's going to be, uh, you know, the, the guy to watch here in this matchup. A top 25 team in Pitt. Uh, Clemson team who has had a, a rough start to the season, but you know, they've uh, now four and two, three and one in ACC play. This is a, an opportunity for the Tigers to jump back in the top 25, get a big win on the road. So fun matchup in the ACC here between Clemson and Pitt. Yeah. This is a team that is 
top 10 in passing yards and points for um, in the country right now. Uh, Kenny Pickett doing a great job, uh, has formed a really uh, a, a good bond with Peyton Manning, someone he met in the offseason, um, has been really picking his brain and getting a lot of good information from. And when you look at the remaining schedule for, for Pittsburgh, uh, Clemson, Miami, Duke, UNC, um, Virginia, and Syracuse, all winnable games for Pittsburgh, um, all have struggling pass defenses. So, you know, Kenny Pickett is the real deal. Uh, he has the Pittsburgh uh, Panthers in, headed in the right direction. Um, a lot of winnable games uh, in the future for them um, with a top 10 passing offense in the country right now. Yeah, absolutely. And big test uh, coming into town uh, this week with the Clemson Tigers. Mitch, last game to watch. Uh, classic matchup, Trojans and Fighting Irish, USC at Notre Dame. Uh, I actually wrote in our on our note here, Norte Dame, which, which uh, Norte, you know, Spanish for North. I just love the sound of that. It sounds like a, that must be a hardcore gang over there in South Bend. Uh, yeah. You know, you have Notre Dame, the university, and Norte Dame, you know, the uh, the guys running the streets. 4.30 Pacific on uh, NBC this game, number 13, Notre Dame. Only loss on the season for the Fighting Irish came against Cincinnati, the now number two team in the country. Uh, other than that, a uh, you know win against number eighteen Wisconsin. Uh, not you know not a, a great season for the for the Fighting Irish, but uh, you know big marquee matchup. Uh, even if USC isn't great, Mitch, and they're three and three on the season. Sometimes they look great, like against Wazoo in Colorado. Sometimes they look awful, like against Oregon State and Utah uh, a couple weeks ago. So who knows what version of USC we're going to see this week, what version of Keaton Slovis we're going to see uh, in South Bend. But uh, nonetheless, two big-time profiles in college football always makes this an intriguing matchup. Oh, yeah, huge. This is, this is, a, big, this is a big game. Uh, Notre Dame uh, of the independents, 5-1, and one, best record of all the independents right now. Um, not an intimidating schedule. They got you. They got USC. They have an intriguing game in UNC uh, next week, but then Navy, uh, UVA, uh, Georgia Tech, and Stanford to follow. Um, y- you know, it, it's hard not to take the ranked, the number thirteen ranked uh, Fighting Irish in this one. Um, you know, they have the Nortenos on their side. Uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of Catholics in the Nortenio community. Absolutely. Yes. So. Um, <laughs> So a lot, a lot of cross pollination between, uh, you know, the Catholics in Indiana and, uh, the Catholic Mexican Americans in this country. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, great matchup. It's going to be a good classic matchup of two, uh, traditionally powerhouses. Um, one of them clearly better than the other. And I think that's Notre Dame right now. Would you put, uh, would you put, uh, you know, uh, corned beef on a taco? Are we, you know? I love corned beef and I love tacos. I think I might just separate the two. <laughs> you, I, I mean, you'd have to, I, I'd try it, right? You know, I'd take a little nibble. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. You got to throw some cabbage on there too. If we're going to do, do it, no give me, give me, bite, give, yeah. give me, <laughs> no, thank you. Bite. I like that. Uh, Mitch, uh, to wrap up the campus tour here, the player to know before the NFL draft. And uh, this week I'm going with an easy one. Because, uh, you know, as we get into this college football season, it just seems like he is destined to be the number one pick, uh, you know, depending on almost no matter who ends up with the number one pick in this uh, this next NFL draft. And that is 
the edge rusher from Oregon, Kayvon Thibodeau, 6'5", 258. He's number one on Mel Kuyper's big board. He's number one on PFF's big board. Uh, at that edge position, that's a, that's a position we see commonly picked one number one overall alongside quarterback. And because, you know, there's no quarterback uh, really emerging worthy of that number one overall pick, the, you know, the next three players in line are essentially Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame, and uh, Derek Stingley Jr., the cornerback out of LSU. Now, I can't see the NFL drafting a safety number one overall, not in 2022. Uh, maybe corner with Stingley, but Thibodeau having the best season PFF uh, grade-wise of his entire career, 82.2 PFF grade every season. He's had at least a 77 or above, which is uh, very good. Um, Mitch, I, I met Kayvon at Pac-12 Media Day this summer. Uh, and of all the players I saw come through and do interviews that day, he was by far the most impressive and intriguing. One, just his the sheer size of him. Uh, but he came in with a swagger. He had on his fingers, I asked to see him, he showed me, he had these big rings from the Pac-12 championship game that he had won, you know, the Rose Bowl that he had won. And he was flaunting those at Pac-12 Media Day. He, he looked good. He dressed sharp. You could tell he knew he was the shit. Right. And that oh, and that stuck with me since of like, this guy knows he's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. And sure enough, here we are, you know, in mid-October and he's set to be, you know, probably the number one pick, if not, you know, for sure, top five pick, uh, you know, a guy who's just excelled at a high level since his freshman year at Oregon in 2019. Uh Thibodeau's legit. Uh, you know, as far as edge rushers, he's exactly what you're looking for as far as that athletic profile. And he's shown in college that he is legit. So uh, a name to know before the NFL draft, he might be the first name called in this next year NFL draft. Yeah, there's just something about a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau that separates himself from a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, um, where just their physicality, um, not just in stature, but what they're able to do on the football field uh, separates them. Uh, this is a guy that you could put in a three-point stance. You could put on the edge, or you could stand up and have play an outside linebacker. Um, this is a guy that um, has a ton of speed, a ton of athleticism. Um, you, you know, and he's – let's keep in mind, he's only a junior. Like, he could probably stay another year and still be the number one pick in next right. year's draft. So just three three seasons, so, you know, in, in college football out of high school. So, so yeah. So, you know, he, you know, he's got a ton of room for growth. Um, and when he's talented, when you're talented at this age and this level, um, you, you know, and you still have another year of eligibility to grow, um, it, it makes you that much more exciting of an NFL prospect. So, um, you, you know, you mentioned the swagger. Uh, the, the guy, that, you know, a guy that is uh, knows he's the shit <laughs> for lack of a better term. I mean, he, he, sh there is no re even with the, with the injury stuff, I, I still expect him to be in the top five um, as far as uh, picks go uh, coming this NFL draft. Absolutely. Mitch. Uh, absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more with you. And when, and when we look at the number one overall pick too, as I mentioned, you know, position matters here on who, what an NFL team will draft number one overall. They're not going to draft a position like safety. Number one, overall, we are talking about edge offensive tackle quarterback, cornerback, right? So if there's no QB in this draft, if it's not Derek Stingley, and if it's not maybe Evan Neal, the offensive tackle out of Alabama, 
it's going to be Kayvon Thibodeau and or Aiden Hutchinson, depending on his sort of rise. But I mean, edge, corner, tackle, quarterback, that's who gets selected with that first overall pick. And that's why Kayvon Thibodeau right now so securely in that number one spot on big boards and that likely expected uh, number one pick in April. Mitch, that's it for the campus tour. Let's take a quick break, hit a mid-roll, and when we come back, we'll do a little update on the MLB postseason. Los Doyers make, having a little action at the end of the game here. We'll update you on how those series are going and then NBA award predictions for the upcoming season. So stick around and we'll be right back. Thanks for checking out the Sports Hour today. We appreciate you wherever you're listening. But if you haven't already, we recommend you check us out and give us a listen on Anchor. Anchor allows us to provide the best product to you. You can go support the Sports Hour and become a permanent part of the show, like my saint of a mother, Sammy, and my father, David, did. You can even leave us voice messages with your thoughts and opinions that we can use on the show. Prove to us that you know better than me and Mitchmo. Moral of the story, people, be more like Sammy and David. Go find us at anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys and become a part of the conversation. What the hell are you waiting for? Welcome back in to the sports hour with Mitchmo and Dallin. A lot of football we just covered, but you know what? We're going to switch gears a little bit here. We're going to go to some postseason baseball because you know what this is some of the most exciting times in sports is anything postseason especially baseball baseball has some exciting things going on right now um you know we're gonna get into the alcs here in just a minute but let's start in the nlcs atlanta starting off this seven game series 2-0 2-0 one run games beat dot beat the dodgers 3-2 in game one on the back of some great bullpen pitching. Game two, Max Scherzer starting on the mound for the Dodgers. Probably should have pulled that one out. Braves pulled that one out 5-4. Dodgers just pulling out another one-run win just moments ago as of the time of this recording. This is Wednesday or Tuesday evening. Uh, 6-5 over the Braves, game three. So Atlanta still leads this series 2-1 um down we've talked about uh the braves quite a bit over the last few years in, in our baseball segments about how much we like this team and how much we feel like the growth of this team is going but the dodgers continuing to be the dodgers and they're just pulling out wins when they need to pull out wins as an A's fan and as the grandson of the biggest dodgers fan that i know my grandma patty um i can't help for, for pull you know i can't help but to pull for the dodgers here they're down 2-1. They get a big bounce back win. Make this a series again. Um, your synopsis of how this series has gone through three games. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Braves getting two wins in Atlanta in walk-off fashion in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, just sort of eking by wins. Little, little decisions, uh, you know, some base running errors by the Dodgers in game one. Uh, you know, not stellar pitching uh, in game two. And then, and then tonight, you know, going down early, Bueller didn't last, uh, you know, as long as you'd expect him only three and two thirds, uh, but the bullpen came in clutch, kept him in the game. And, you know, Cody Bellinger three run shot to tie it in the bottom of the eighth and Mookie coming through to 
to to seal it off. You know, the Dodgers getting it done when they needed to. This was a must win for them. You can't go down 3-0. You're finally back in LA. You can't lose this game. You know, that's that's not where you want to be. You get two more games at home before you go back to Atlanta and you need to be 3-2. You need to be 3-2 heading back to Atlanta. So you got to win your next few games at home still. You've got Odias on the mound in game four. Don't know who it'll be game five. Likely bullpen game uh, in game five. Uh, Gonsolin, you know, sort of, sort of what we've seen. Uh, Kniebel, uh, or yeah, ne- Kniebel got the, got the, Nebel, Nebel got the start in game one, you know, maybe he gets the start. But either way, bullpen game, that game five. But, uh, you know, Dodgers are okay. They're okay. You know, you lost two games. You probably should have won one of those. But walk-off fashion for Atlanta. It's a good Atlanta team. You know, give them credit. They were up 3-1 in the NLCS a season ago before the Dodgers came back and beat them. So you don't want to fall down 3-1 again. Get it tied 2-2, make it a three-game series here. That's the goal for LA. Uh, for Atlanta, just keep keeping your just keep giving yourself opportunities. Give yourself opportunities to steal one here on the road. If you can steal one in LA, they're going to be in a good position. Yeah, if they can get up 3-1 going into game four in LA, they're sitting really pretty. If you want to talk about bullpen games, tonight was the bullpen game. I mean, Walker Buehler comes out, uh, a guy that you're expecting to get at least six from. He goes three and two-thirds, um, seven hits, four earned on uh, you know, with three walks. Uh, they go ahead and throw out eight different, bullpen, eight, eight different guys out of the bullpen, only one of them throwing more than an inning. That was Evan Phillips throwing more than an inning. Jansen gets the last three outs, all in three strikeouts. Uh, when you when you look at the, the bullpen pitching, only was that three walks allowed across the eight pitchers that came in um, following Walker Bueller. Uh, the bullpen has been fantastic uh, for the Dodgers and, 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 and same for the Braves. But you're like, but like you said, opportunities. If the Braves can give themselves opportunities and continue to to make big thing ha- big things happen on the road, then they're in a in a good position. Now the Dodgers. They need to win these games at home. They have to win these games at home um, because it, that'll make a whale of a difference when they go on the road to Atlanta if they come in with a lead. So, um, yeah, the Dodgers uh, eking out one tonight. Um, uh, a, a fantastic series and the, in, uh, a, a good one uh, coming up here in the next few games. Yeah, and, and definitely, you know, series is not over three games in. You know, it's going to be a competitive one. Uh, it was a tight series last year. It's going to be another tight one this season. Mitch, the ALCS, uh, this has been surprising. The Red Sox in the wild card game against the Yankees get the win, handled the, the race 3 1 last year. They're up 2 1 over the Houston Astros. First two games in Houston right now. We're in Boston for game four. The Red Sox lead 2 to 1 at the top in the top of the fifth. So, chance to go up 3-1 in the series to the Red Sox. The biggest story for me, Mitch, and the thing that I was looking for the most in this series as we mentioned last week was the Red Sox bats. When the bats showed up against the Rays, they handled the Tampa Bay Rays and you couldn't keep pace. And this Houston Astros offense is good. And, you know, they've been decent five runs, five runs, three runs, respectively, in the first three games. But a nine spot in game two, 12 runs last night in game three for the Red Sox. You're not going to be able to beat that when when they are mashing at that level. And right now it doesn't seem like the Red Sox are going to slow down anytime soon. So this is 
This is intriguing, obviously, for the rest of this series, but if the Red Sox do pull this off and are playing this well, Braves, Dodgers, great pitching staffs, but, I mean, if you're not going to be able to slow down these bats, you're going to have to keep pace, and I don't know who can right now with the way the Red Sox are hitting the ball. It's going to be tough to do that. The Like we mentioned in the previous series, the Red Sox lineup right now is so potent. It's going to be hard to keep up. Any you know Anyone starting rotation or bullpen is going to be hard to keep with the Red Sox. Um, right now, you know, they, they have the, you know, they win that, or they lose that game 5-4, but they come back, win 9-5. Then they go ahead and win out, you know, win 12-3 in game three yesterday. Um now, right up now, right now, as of the time is recording, top of the fifth, they're up 2 1 um, over the Astros. Uh, the prepotency of this uh, of this Boston Red Sox lineup is just uh, the, it, it's unmatched right now. They're just absolutely mashing. They're hitting everything that's coming their way. And that's going to be a tough team to keep up with. Yeah, absolutely. And Kike Hernandez, my favorite Dodger, man. He, in this postseason, he is. I batting. think a lot of people's favorite Dodger. I yeah. mean, he was literally my favorite player. So bummed when he, when, uh, when he moved on, but in the postseason, he's batting 500, 18 for 36 with five home runs. He has been on one uh, for the Red Sox, a part of that potent offense, as we mentioned. And, uh, you know, this game, game four, this is a pivotal game, uh, you know, Houston loses this. They go down three, one, they've got another game in Boston before they have to return home to Houston. Uh, you can't, you got to get this to two, two. And if you're Boston, uh, you know, taking advantage of these home games, these, this, you stole one on the road in Houston, just like you were supposed to, you win your home games in Boston. You don't even have to go back. So Red Sox in the power position right now. Uh, we'll see how this, uh, you know, game plays out in the rest of this series, but uh, two tight matchups still in the AL and NLCS series uh, postseason baseball. There's almost nothing better in my opinion. I mean, the postseason so good in baseball and uh, so competitive to watch night in and night out. Uh, fun, fun series ahead for both these, uh, for both these leagues. Baseball has screwed a lot up over the last few years. At least they keep the postseason pretty damn good. That is true. So. Yes, that is. That's a great point, Mitch. Uh, let's move on from the MLB and let's get into uh, the NBA. So we're going to give some NBA award predictions as tonight is the opening night of the NBA season. The Milwaukee Bucks, the first team to secure the W, the last team to win a game in the NBA season. Last season and the first team to win a game this season as they defeated the Nets uh, in their celebration tonight, earning their or getting their rings and unveiling the banner uh, there in Milwaukee. And uh, so tonight to to uh, commemorate the beginning of the season, some NBA award predictions, Mitchell, let's start with MVP last year's MVP, Nikola Jokic. Uh, You know, this was uh, up until, you know, last couple of weeks of the season this was almost a three-way race between Jokic and Bede LeBron uh, but LeBron got injured and Bede got injured and Jokic sort of just outlasted everybody and earned an MVP don't get me wrong uh, but you know sort of ran away with it towards the end of this season uh, we enter this season with a lot of intriguing names up uh, you know in contention who's your favorite who's the guy you're going with to win the NBA MVP Look, I I got I got a favorite, and then I got a dark horse. Great, let's start um, with the favorites. Okay, so the favorite for me is Giannis. I mean, so he kind of he kind of, I mean, he he kind of proved his worth in the in the postseason. I mean, it, there was a lot of knock on him about can he play in the postseason? It, you know, does does he does he play past that eighty two games? 
um, you know, what's, what's his worth past that. And I think he proved that, 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 you know, he can actually put a full, a full season with a playoff team together. Um, Giannis is just, a, 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 to me, the, the best player in the NBA right now. And I think that it's going to be tough to take anyone, but Giannis, the dark horse for me is Luca. And I think that Luca, what he can bring to that Dallas Mavericks team and what he adds to them is, is going to be more, more than anything that anyone else could add to a certain team. Now, Giannis, um, Giannis obviously has his own, you know, attribute, you know, things that he brings to that Bucks team, but Luca is a Luca's a game changer. He can actually put the team on his back, and we saw him do that in multiple games in the playoffs last year. So I like Luca as a dark horse. I'm gonna take Giannis as my favorite here. Sure, and Giannis having already won the award would clearly, you know, be a favorite. And I think Luca is gonna be, uh, you know, a popular pick this season. Uh, for some reason, Mitch, I coming off of Jokic winning the MVP, I'd be surprised if we had another first-time MVP winner which is why I went with Kevin Durant to win the MVP this season. Cause I think it will be a repeat uh, for somebody. I don't think it's going to be Jokic. Uh, Giannis is a great pick. I like that. Uh, but for Katie, I think, you know, in the, in the East, I think, you know, I have the nets coming out of the East this season. I think they're going to be the story in the conference and, and arguably in the NBA this season, if they could stay healthy, health is going to be the biggest concern, but if Kevin Durant's playing, uh, you know, full slate of games this year. He's going to be averaging close to 30 points a game. I mean, he's going to be doing Kevin Durant stuff. And if the Nets are the number one team in the East and he's dominating at that level, it's going to be real easy to talk ourselves into an MVP season for Kevin Durant. So, uh, you know, I think KD is the pick that I'm going with because, uh, you know, sort of fallen out of the view of popularity the last couple of years with injury and, and you know, not playing full seasons opportunity for him to really come out uh, and, and sort of dominate the narrative this season. My dark horse, Mitch, I mentioned this last week in our NBA preview, but I'm, I'm really, I'm really going with this. Donovan Mitchell is my dark horse. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think when I say dark horse, meaning he's going to be top five in voting, but probably not top three. And, you know, he gets to the point where he's averaging 20, close to 28 points a game, which is definitely sort of the progression he's on at this point. If he can increase the assist to over six, maybe close to seven a game. And, you know, he's continuing to ball out with those highlight plays. The Jazz continue to win like they did last year in the regular season. He should see himself in this position. He arguably should have been in the conversation more last season. So a bump for Mitchell, and I think he should be there. So give me Donovan Mitchell as my dark horse. The other day, my thought, Mitch, which seemed a little easy, was Trey Young. Uh, just because of the rise of Atlanta last season, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, another strong regular season for Trey, and perhaps uh, he sees himself in that, you know, top five, top six voting. I like it. So, uh, defensive player of the year. I didn't go with Rudy Gobert. Uh, Rudy Gobert's won the award a lot. Uh, he's likely to be in the conversation, but this is boring to just give it to Rudy every year. So I went with AD this year, Mitch. Anthony Davis, who's in contention a couple years ago for defensive player of the year, has that defensive prowess and the Lakers sort of returning to form as I expect this season. They should be at the forefront of the conversation and AD perhaps getting the recognition on the defensive end that he's owed here with his first defensive player of the year. So give me AD in this. Well, you and I agree on this one. I got AD. Okay, I, have, I like I, it. I have AD. Look, he's been a leading candidate for this award multiple times. 
hasn't gotten the job done. The Lakers right now, a top ranked defense in the NBA. Okay. They they have been uh, since the arrival of, of AD and with KCP and Alex Crusoe leaving this summer. um, If the, if the Lakers remain one of the best defenses in the NBA, um, then with more of a reliability on Anthony Davis, I think he's just poised to take this, take, this this award home so give me ad as well i think that's a great point mitch uh the lakers you know with with ad and really with the arrival of frank vogel have really been one of the best defensive teams in the nba over the last couple seasons even with their struggles last year what kept them afloat during the rough times was the defense and uh so yeah i definitely see a scenario where ad getting that recognition there uh rookie of the year mitch who do you have winning this award Okay, so I went with Cade Cunningham, which I think was a kind of a cop-out because he's the number one overall pick. Um, and I think that he could actually elevate that Pistons team to a, to a, it. They have a very good young core in, in Detroit, a, a team that I think we can look forward to three, four years down the road um, if they stick with that core. Um, yeah, it, and, and it might be an easy pick to take. And so I, I took Cade Cunningham, but I do have a dark horse here, and I went with Davion Mitchell the Sacramento yes. Kings, yes. Um, the defensive stalwart that he is, um, his ability to, to also score in the offensive end. He's part of that, uh, that kind of four guard confusion that they have there. I hope that they stick with him and Tyrese Halliburton. I think that Davion Mitchell has a real shot to be rookie of the year. If he gets the minutes. Yeah. I mean, we talked about last week, the, the overcrowded backcourt there in Sacramento. How does it, you know, how does it all uh, play out as far as playing time and, and, and minutes? Davion Mitchell's definitely my dark horse candidate as well, just because I think he's a spark plug. Could be a sixth man type player in the NBA immediately. Uh, and that could be huge for Sacramento. But my favorite, I'm going with Jalen Suggs, the Bulldog, the former Gonzaga standout star uh, who's with the Orlando Magic, fourth pick in the fourth, fifth pick in the NBA draft. I don't remember, but. Uh, Suggs is legit. I, I saw him play multiple times last year, uh, against BYU when he was at Gonzaga and kid is legit. I, I thought whoever drafted him was going to get the, the player with the highest floor in the NBA draft. At the very least, he is going to be a fantastic role player. And I think he's going to be much more so. And on a team in Orlando, which is going in a new direction who needs a star to emerge. I think Jalen Suggs is going to be that guy. And I expect a big season for him uh, in Orlando, Mitch coach of the year, close this out. Uh, The guy that I went with is a first time head coach. I mentioned last week, how high I was on the Washington wizards. I expect the wizards to really surprise this year. And so if they ended up as a top four or five seed, it would suffice it to say that their head coach would be in the rec in the running for this award. So Wes Unsell Jr., the first time head coach of the Washington Wizards, is my pick for coach of the year. Uh, the other candidates I thought of here, uh, Billy Donovan with the uh, Chicago Bulls, because the Bulls, one of those teams expected to maybe be a little better if they make that leap up there, potentially, uh, you know, in that conversation, uh, you know, and then on the other side, you know, maybe, maybe Frank Vogel, if uh, Lakers get back to number one seed, it was a rough year last year. They're in the play-in tournament. You know, if they turn around, win 55 plus games, can you win coach of the year with having LeBron James on your team? Probably not, but. (laughs) 
I, don't yeah, think you, I, I think that disqualifies you, but that's kind of, that's kind of tough to do when, you know, coach of the year probably should go to LeBron. James yeah, you're right. LeBron exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's um, a good point. I, so I got, I got two, um, Quinn Snyder of the Utah okay. jazz. I love that. Um, so, you know, it, you know, they just a win machine in Utah. And if they make a deep playoff run, I don't think it's out of the question that Quinn Snyder could get that run. Also Nate McMillan of Atlanta. Um, I think that Nate McMillan with the, with the team that he put together in Atlanta, the run that they made, um, I don't think that it's out of the question. Either one of those guys, if they make a deep playoff run um, in either conference, I guess, you know, the East and the West, that they could be a, a, a serious candidate for coach of the year. But I think my favorite here is probably going to be Quinn Snyder. Um, yeah, because I like I'm, that. A, I'm a big believer in the Utah Jazz. I have been for the last couple of years. And if they make the run that I think that they're going, that they should make, if they make the run that they should make because that team is so talented, uh, Quinn Snyder should be uh, it, you know, a coach of the year candidate at the end of the year. Yeah, for sure. And for, you know, for a team that was number one in the Western conference last season, you know, in a regular season award, if they're able to repeat and how talented the Western conference is, if they're able to repeat that success and be on pay, you know, and get that 58 wins, be number one seed in the West. then absolutely. I think Quinn Snyder should be, uh, you know, re- rewarded, uh, with coach of the year. So Mitch, that's it for NBA awards and to finish off the podcast here, time for some quick picks. Uh, Mitch, we are on a, a streak of ties here, four straight weeks of ties. We went nine and five last week, uh, you know, buys now. So no longer 16 games a week. Uh, Mitch, your overall record 54 and 24, my overall record 53 and 25. So by the way, incredible incredible numbers to start the year so. yeah we're doing pretty good on the picks and we're still just neck and neck here looking for some separation uh we talked as we as we prepped here for the podcast that there's some weird games this week so this might be the week we finally see a little bit of difference i don't think we're gonna tie this week i think we're inevitably gonna have to differ on a few of these this is the trappiest week of of the, <laughs> of the season that we've had so far and if for for, for people that don't know um, yeah, a trap game is pretty much a, a game that you think you should know who the winner is, but essentially that's not the case. There is a serious, uh, consideration for a, uh, for an upset. Um, but let's start in the greatest city in Ohio, Cleveland, where the Denver Broncos will leave mile high city to head over to Cleveland to take on the Browns Browns right now, minus three and a half. Uh, minus 175 over under set at 42 and a half. I think it's a good rebound game for the Browns. If Baker comes back healthy and he plays even after the dislocated shoulder, I think the Browns get it done against a struggling Broncos team that has proven to be a farce after going three and to start the year when their opponents were zero and nine combined to start that year uh, to start the season. Uh, I like the Browns at home. Yeah, you know, I think this is a good bounce back opportunity for the Browns, even if they're not healthy. I mean, this Broncos defense is legit. The offense is not. Uh, I think this might be a tighter game than you would expect, but I do uh, agree with you. Give me the Browns to get it done at First Energy Stadium on Thursday night. Next, Mitch, my Carolina Panthers on a three-game skid. Can Sam Darnold right the ship? They traveled to MetLife Stadium 
to take on Daniel Jones and whoever the hell is left playing for the New York Giants this season. Mitch, this could not have come at a better time. If the Panthers lose this game, it's time to hit the extreme panic button. But give me the Panthers to get it done on the road. Keep pounding, get back above 500, and get a win against an inferior opponent. Give me the Panthers. Well, I'm going to disagree with you there. I don't think it's time to hit the panic button because Sam Darnold has outperformed what we thought he was going to do in Carolina. So even if they are three and four, it'll be okay. But keep pounding because I think that the Panthers will be four and three at the end of this week. Panthers right now, minus three favorites, minus 148 on the money line, over under set at 43. Keep pounding. Give me the Carolina Panthers on the road in the Meadowlands against the New York Giants. Following that game, Kansas City, they're leaving the state of Missouri to head over to Music City to take on the Tennessee Titans. Right now, the Kansas City Chiefs, minus five and a half point favorites. On the road, minus 240 money line, over under set at 56 and a half, which I think is a fair line because of the high scoring that will happen in this game. This is going to be a very high scoring game. Hammer the over on 56 and a half. But you got to give me the Chiefs in this one. Um, they, they just it just seems like it's they're primed to go ahead and win 10 straight. Like it, ju- it just feels like it's time for them to go ahead and win 10 straight. I don't know why I feel that way, but I feel that way. The Chiefs, they start their 9-10 game winning streak this week against Tennessee. Give me the Chiefs. You know, I'm right there with you, Mitch. Uh, on paper, Tennessee should win this game. The Chiefs have an awful ten- run defense. Ten- 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 Tennessee? Tennessee. Tennis- ten- did I say Tennessee? I'm just trying to give give I I I misgendered the whole state of Tennessee. Oh no, oh no, what'd you do that for? I'm this looks like like this like on paper, Tennessee should win this game because the Chiefs have the worst run defense in the entire National Football League, and on the other side of the ball is Derrick Henry. Like Derrick Henry should rush for 300 yards in this game, but I'm still going with the Chiefs, Mitch, because it just feels like they're gonna just pull out. It's gonna be a close game, it's gonna be a wacky one. And Mahomes will pull out a win out of his ass and they're going to go on to win 10 in a row. I'm right there with you. It doesn't make sense, but I mean, the Chiefs have, have proven over the last couple of years with Mahomes that they're just going to get it done. So despite being three and three, despite a, an unfavorable matchup, perhaps I'm still rolling with Kansas City. Like, like, like they're going to win, but they're not going to cover. Like, no, it's going like to be a, a two-point like a... win, last-minute, Hail yeah. Mary, some you know crazy stuff like that. It's, exactly. It's going to be a weird one, but that should be a really good game. Not game of the week, though, to me. I think a little later we'll get to game of the week, but this, yeah. Tennessee, uh, Kansas City, great one. Mitch, next up, Washington, the football team, traveling to Lambeau Field to take on the owner of the Chicago Bears, Aaron Rodgers oh. and the Green Bay look, Packers. Look, okay, okay. Before we even get into this, I want to just address this <laughs> I didn't mean on this. air. No, no, we're gonna address this. Go, yes, go ahead. No shit, you own us, Aaron. You don't have to say it. You're 22 and five against us. You've thrown 57 touchdowns and 13 interceptions or whatever it is against us. No shit, Jonas. So you flip. So you got pissed off at a drunk lady in Chicago that flipped you off. You don't have to get upset at this for that. No shit you own us, dude. I don't want to talk about it anymore after that. But all I want to say is that Aaron Rodgers just stated the obvious. Great fucking going, Captain Obvious. You stated the obvious. No shit you own us. 
This is why we love Aaron Rodgers, right? It's little things like this. Like who else in the NFL is doing stuff like this? Just Aaron Rodgers, you know, he's a different kind of uh, animal, different kind of beast there at the quarterback position. <laughs> you love to see it, but uh, you know, Mitch, I've got Washington in this game. It just Ooh. feels like a trap. We talked about it's a trappy week, five and one for Green Bay, two and four for Washington, disappointing start. But maybe this is the week the the defense wakes up in Washington and just pitches a shut, not a shutout, but just just really stymies the Packers defense or the Packers offense in there. I, I, give me Washington eking out a victory here. I might touch the money line in this one right now. Green Bay minus 455 because I don't think Green Bay is going to cover this one. Like you said, trappy game. I don't think Green Bay is going to cover the nine and a half point favorites that they are right now. But I do think Green Bay wins this game. Over under set at 49. Give me Green Bay over the football team. Because, you know, like you said, this is probably the trappiest game of the week. Like you're going to pick the Packers and you're going to take – you're going to take them to cover by, you know, you're going to take them to cover and you just think, oh yeah, they can win by 10 easily in this game. And then no, all of a sudden they wind up winning by four and you don't win the bet because they don't cover. So go ahead, take the Packers money line, but don't take the Packers to cover the nine and a half point favorites that they are right now. But give me Packers um, over the Washington football team. Following that game, we have the Jets, the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. And Zach Wilson, they are leaving the Big Apple to head over to New England to take on the New England Patriots. Right now, the Patriots minus seven and a half favorites, uh, minus 305 money line over under set at, um, what is that, 42 and a half. This is one of those trap games that I'm going to take the Jets to take down the New England Patriots. I think that Zach Wilson has enough done. Now, look, Mac Wilson struggled in stressful situations last week against Dallas. I think that he makes the same mistakes when he plays another close game against the Jets. Give me the Jets! Give me the Jets! I love the Jets against the Patriots. I'm even going to call. I'm even going to take him to cover. I'm going to call this my underdog lock of the week. Jets plus seven and a half over the New England Patriots. Mitch, I hate that we both picked the Jets to win this week. That just, I, like, now I feel like it's guaranteed the Patriots are going to win because I also picked the Jets. Zach Wilson coming off the bye, got some time away from football, mentally reset, new, new, you know, new part of the season here, a, a familiar opponent. And listen, last time he played New England, he threw four picks. It was not good. It was his worst game, in fact but it's not going to get any worse than that. And I think having the experience of having watched, you know, played against this opponent before having the extra week off, I, you know, I feel confident New York's going to be able to eke out an ugly win here in Foxborough. So, you know, I'm taking the jets too, Mitch. And you know, that just means that the jets are going to get blown out by like you know, 20 points. So look, at by what the way done. of my underdog locks of the week, my highest, my biggest odds spread as far as underdog goes with jets plus seven and a half wow so, okay um but lock it in lock it in lock it in uh next up mitch this is the garbage game of the week this is just this is just hot garbage straight hot garbage you're a garbage person we've got the atlanta falcons two and three 
visiting the Miami Dolphins of Miami. One in five. This is an ugly game, Mitch. Uh, it's kind of a toss-up in my mind. I have no idea who to pick here, but I went with the Dolphins. Coming off the disappointing loss, you can't afford another loss, and things are really going bad in Miami if you fall to one and six. So part of me feels like coming off a 10 and six season, you know, what we've seen from Brian Flores and the staff, I think they're competent. I think they can put together a winning football team. So I think they bounce back here and get the win at home. Right now, the Falcons, the favorite on the road, minus two and a half, minus 141 money line. Over-under set at 47 and a half. I'm going to take the favorite here. I like the Falcons on the road to Miami. Give me the Falcons over the Dolphins. Um, look, Miami's got just too many things going wrong with them. They have to they have to do some serious soul-searching. I don't think they could do this until the buy happens because I think they need that week to kind of recoup and refigure out who the hell they are. So um, give me Atlanta on the road in Miami over the Dolphins. Last game of the morning slate, Cincinnati over Baltimore. This, again, one of the trappiest games of the week. The Bengals aren't that bad. The Bengals aren't that bad with a healthy Joe Burrow. The Bengals aren't that bad. Right now, Bengal, or the Ravens, minus six and a half, minus 275 money line, over under set at 47. Um, Bengals at a plus 205 money line. Um, look, I I like the Bengals. I like the Bengals a lot. I think that they are, are making a great run with what they got. But you got to give me the Ravens here. I love the Ravens in this one. Um, I don't think they're going to cover. I think it's going to be another close game because it seems like a trap game. This seems like a field goal game. This seems like another one of those field goal in the fourth quarter, field goal and overtime type games to me. But give me the Bengals at home against the – or sorry, give me the Ravens at home against the Bengals. Yeah, Mitch, for me, this was game of the week, in my opinion. The 501 Baltimore Ravens, four and two Cincinnati Bengals, a divisional matchup. AFC North always competitive. Bengals, as you mentioned, surprising this season with their start. Ravens have just been on a tear since that week one loss. I've got the Ravens in this game as well, but I absolutely believe this is a field goal game. This should be one of the best games this week, an extremely competitive game where I think the Ravens will just eke it out in the end. We'll just come away with the victory, uh, you know, when it comes down to it. But this should be a tight game. And for me, this is my favorite game this week. Ravens, Bengals, give me the birds. This should be a really competitive, hard-hitting game. Absolutely. Hard-hitting. Yes. Uh, speaking of competitive games, Mitch, next up, the Detroit Lions. The Jared Goff revenge game. Owen 6 Detroit traveling to the Rams. Five and one, Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff facing their old teams. Mitch, this should be an awful football game. Expect the Rams to win by 25. Uh, poor Jared Goff's going to get a rude awakening. Uh, I wonder how many times Aaron Donald has hit him in practice when he was with LA. It's going to be a lot different at game speed. I'll tell you that. Uh, I'm sure he's he's not going to appreciate being on the receiving end of some Aaron Donald uh, it just hits. So uh, tough. It's going to be a tough day for Jared Goff. Tough day for the Lions. Give me the Rams. Rams right now 
This is embarrassing. I, I, like, can I can I get? Is it tw- over twelve? Oh yeah. Really? What oh, is? Yeah. Get, get, tell me. By the way, this is only the second highest spread. Really? Of the week. Oh man. Rams minus fifteen and a half. Woo! Wow. Minus. 1115 on the money line over under set at 50 and a half hammer the over because the Rams are blowing them out by 30 Rams over lions, not even close. Um, I mean the safest bet you could possibly make if you, I mean, don't even touch this game. You're not even going to make money on this game. Don't even touch it. It's not worth it. You're not even going to make money on this game. Um, following that game in LA, (laughs) By the way, the second yeah, second highest spread or second highest differential in uh in, in you know on the spread. So Philadelphia, they're leaving the city of brotherly love to head down to Sin City to take on the Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders right now minus three and a half favorites at home, minus one sixty five over under set at forty nine and a half. They got the new interim head coach. The distraction is gone. I like this Raiders team again. I think they were very well coached last week against the Denver Broncos. I know a very underwhelming opponent, but I think they were very well coached. Give me the Raiders, maybe not to cover. I don't think I want to touch the spread, but I like the Raiders over the Eagles at home. Yeah, you know, Raiders surprised me last week getting the win over Denver. I had Denver in that game, Uh, you know, able to overcome the distractions of, of John Gruden's uh, departure by getting a win. Uh, that's huge for the Raiders, huge for their season. Uh, I do have Philly in this game though, Mitch. Philly has been sneaky competitive this, this season, uh, you know, wins over the Falcons and the Panthers. They've had some tight games. They were, you know, they've been able to put up points against the chiefs, even last week against the bucks, 28 to 22, you know, against the super bowl champs. That's, a pretty decent showing. And I think there's potential for this team, a surprise win here against the Raiders, a team that's not probably expecting to get a super competitive matchup with Philly. They surprised the Panthers a couple weeks ago. I think they get it done here. Give me the Eagles fly Eagles fly over in Allegiant stadium, Mitch, your Chicago bears three and three on the season headed to Tampa Bay to take on the defending champs. There's no way in hell I'm picking the Bears. Give me the Bucks. You know, the Bears right now, the yeah, the spread right now says that it's Bucks minus 12 and a half. Minus 670 on the money line, over under set at 47. But if I have $10 that I'm willing to lose, you better damn well know that I'm putting it on the Bears. Give me the Bears! You better be you you gotta be crazy if you think I'm gonna take on the Bears. Give me the Bears. Bear Don on the road and Tampa Bay. The defense is legit. The offense may suck balls, but you know what? The defense is legit, and I think that defense may take us to a playoff spot. Give me the Bears. Hey, Khalil uh, Herbert looked pretty good again last week. Hey, almost a hundred yard rusher. In place of David Montgomery, not Justin, bad for the rook. And Justin Fields looks better week in, week out. He it may be a very progressive growth. You know, it may be a very you know step by step growth. But you know, he looks he looks better every week. Following that game, 
in Tampa Bay. Dallin, here is the biggest spread of the week. The Houston Texans are leaving the Lone Star State to head down to the Southwest to take on the Arizona Cardinals. Dallin, if you had to guess where the spread was at. 18 and a half. Uh, that's a little heavy. Arizona minus 17. Oh my gosh. That is wild. Minus 1667 on the money line. Over under set at 47 and a half. Again, hammer the over because they are absolutely going to dominate the Houston Texans. Give me the Cardinals and a blowout. Yeah, Cardinals 6 0, about to be 7 0. If they lost this game, I mean, wow. Talk about a surprise. Uh, Texans, Mitch, on pace to do what we saw the Jacksonville Jaguars do a season ago, which is win in week one and then lose every game after that. So far, Texans, a win in week one, five straight losses to follow. Should be six on Sunday. Uh, give, give me the Cardinals in this one. Mitch, Sunday night football. The Indianapolis Colts, Carson Wentz coming off a win last week, their second win of the season. And they're traveling to the San Francisco 49ers. Will it be Jimmy G, Trey Lance? Probably Jimmy G back in this game, two and three for the Niners, looking to get to 500. Indianapolis looking to uh, get a little win streak going, get back closer to 500. Give me the Colts in this game. I think Wentz has looked pretty good this season. If the offense can get rolling and the defense can do enough, I think Indianapolis should be able to win this game. So give me the Colts on the road on Sunday night football. Niners right now, the favorite minus three and a half in the spread minus minus one ninety money line over under 44. Got to give me the Niners here. I was super high on the Colts coming in. I think I got to back off on them just a little bit. Um, until I see something otherwise that proves me, you know, proves me wrong. So give me the Niners at home uh, for this Sunday night football game. I still think it'd be a good matchup. I, I'm not even going to take the Niners to cover another field goal game here. So, uh, but give me the Niners at home. Following that Monday night football, the New Orleans Saints, they were leaving the Big Easy to head up to the Emerald City in Seattle to take on the Seattle Seahawks right now the Saints minus five and a half point favorites which seems pretty I mean we haven't seen I don't think a spread against that against you know against the Seahawks in a while because the Seahawks have been so dominant but without Russell Wilson and Geno Smith under center we have to expect that I'm going to take the favorite New Orleans Saints on the road in the Emerald City to beat the Seattle Seahawks I'm sorry second mom and dad I'm sorry but I have to take the New Orleans Saints and Jameis Winston in this game. You know, this is the marquee, ma- the type of marquee matchup everyone looks forward to in a primetime slate. Jameis Winston versus Geno Smith. You know, it's just, you know, this is this is what we've been waiting for. Were they expecting season. Drew Brees to start this game? I mean, come on. <laughs> right. I mean, Russell Wilson versus Taysom Hill wasn't going to be any better. You know, I don't know what other combination it could have been. That would have been, but you know, here, here's the thing. Seahawks lose in Pittsburgh last week. And as bad as Geno Smith was and as rough as that game was, they were still right there in it at the end. I mean, they went to overtime uh, with Pittsburgh. And you know what, Mitch? I've said this all year. 
that the Saints are going to win and then lose subsequent consequent games every you know throughout the entire season. Right now, the Saints are three and two, coming off a win before the bye week, which means it's time for a Saints loss. So give me Geno Smith at home on Monday Night Football, taking down the Saints, Jameis Winston and then Orleans Saints. So yeah, give me the Seahawks. Let's go. Geno right. Smith, baby. Alex Collins. DJ Dallas. Damn it. This sucks. That sucks. <laughs> that sucks really bad, man. <laughs> but hey, you know uh, what? I saw Cam Newton vaccinated, wanting to play, ready to play, he says. So, you know, another bad week from Geno Smith and Seahawks might have to come calling. I'm just saying. I mean, I believe in talks with Seattle already, so. I would buy, I'd be the first person to buy a Cam Newton Seahawks jersey, I'm just saying. And I'd buy a matching one for my dad. That, hey, that's your guy. Cam I mean, Newton's they'd love, guy, yeah, so. he's my guy. Love love to see it. <laughs> Mitch, that's it for the Which quick Which I fix. hate because he's Auburn. <laughs> Fuck Auburn, roll <laughs> damn tight. Of course, Mitch, the lifelong Alabama fan. Uh, Mitch, it's been a pleasure here on the podcast today. Appreciate you guys sticking around and listening with us. Uh, if you don't already follow us on our socials, the Twitter's at uh, Sports Hour Guys, Instagram at the Sports Hour Guys, TikTok at the Sports Hour Guys. Follow me on Twitter at Little Thoint. Uh, Mitch, people are listening to the podcast, but uh, tell them where they should be listening to us at. You can listen to us on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and get on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating review. Tell us we suck because that's the only way that we can get better. But also, go ahead and follow us on Anchor. Leave us a voice message. Be a part of the conversation. We want to hear from you. If you leave us a voice message with a question, you will be a part of the conversation here on the Sports Hour we can't we can't reiterate enough how much we want to hear from you guys. So go ahead and get on the get on the you know get on anchor and leave us a leave us a voice message. Absolutely. We appreciate you guys listening and sticking around with us. Uh always fun. More to come here in the coming weeks as we continue into this NFL season, uh college football, the MLB postseason, maybe some World Series matchups next week. Uh we will find out. So until next time, guys, for Mitch, Dallin, it's been a pleasure. We love you. We appreciate you. We'll catch you next week. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>